2: Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline. I am taking a little holiday hiatus from new episodes, but that means I get the chance to bring you some great episodes from our back catalogue. Today I'm bringing you a show called How Would Jesus Fuck?, which features the amazing Reverend Beverly Dale. There's been so much hate and negativity and even violence coming out of sources that purport to be Christian. And I thought it would be really refreshing and grounding for us to hear a really different take when it comes to Christianity and sex and sexuality. I hope you enjoy the show. Also, if you're feeling in a generous mood yourself... Don't forget to rate and or review the show in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. That's how people find the show. So if you dig the show and you want other people to be listening to it, you think everyone should be listening to this show, I certainly do. Just take a second to rate and review us so that other people can find us more easily. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the show. gorgeous people and welcome to fucking wall feminist the show where the personal and the political get intimate i'm your host jacqueline friedman and every week i'm joined by one smart and provocative guest to talk about sex sexual culture and sexual related current events um and this week i have with me rev bev beverly dale um who i just discovered uh on a panel at Netroots nation we'll talk about that a little bit Um, and who is going to rock your world. She has been a pastor of local congregation and a campus pastor for the University of Pennsylvania. And she's now founder of the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. And she teaches people how to have a sex-positive Christianity that embraces pleasure and sexual diversity. All of that sounds so juicy, Rev Bev. I'm so glad that you are here with us. I love juicy, yes. (laughs) Yes. And I'll, let's start, you know, where we met, I and I, I told you this already, um, you know, when we were on that Ask a expert panel together at Networks, the Networks Nation conference, and when I saw you on it, I was like, I don't know, I don't know about the Christian sex
0: lady. Um, <laughs> it, it was the clergy caller that did it, right?
2: <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> honestly, it was just the reverend, you know, I'm Jewish and I have had no, not entirely positive experiences with people professing to talk about Christianity and sex, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably encounter that all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so, but then I heard you open your mouth, and I was enraptured, and uh, dare I say, converted. Oh, well, that's pretty amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Christianity has the heart of Christianity is incarnation, which means God in the flesh, God walking around in a human body. Um, that's what the Jesus figure is, right? Um, a physical person, a spiritual person in a physical body. And so it's really incredibly ironic or and a travesty that it's Christianity that has so screwed up um, the, the whole teaching about the body and sexuality. It's really rather bizarre when you think about it. It
2: is rather bizarre, and I wonder, maybe we can get into talking about some of the history of how we got here. I bet you have some insight into that.
0: Mm-hmm. um
2: but i wonder i'd like to start kind of with your your origin story if you were a, if you're a superhero which you are of sorts um how did you get to how did you acquire all your powers where did you know did you start off wanting to talk about sex or you just started off called to the ministry and and then you discovered that you really had a passion for talking about sexuality How how did we get to how awesome you
0: are well, it, it was neither of those, and uh, I emerged from the muck of my pain, um, the chaos of sexual repression in in my family. I lived in the cornfields of Illinois and was uh, molested by an uncle mm. who basically he was just getting his sex education from the nearest child that he could, a com- uh, complacent child, a compliant child. Um, and which set me up to not know my sexual boundaries which set me up for accepting uh, sex when I didn't want it and uh, the whole it was a very messy growing up because I was totally cut off from my sexuality and then every time the church doors were open of course my family was on the row number two and that's cause we were always late but anyway <laughs> well I was filled with a lot of Christian teaching that didn't have anything good to say about being a woman, and then of course it said nothing about sexuality or the, bi- or the body. So um, there was nothing in my religious training that could help me with my sexual healing, and but yet those were so intertwined um, there because there was so much sexual repression. And ignorance going around in my, in my spiritual life. So, so for me to be whole, I had to go through that muck to healing. And that meant lots and lots of, um, therapy. But it also meant I had to go back to my Bible and my scripture and say, why haven't I heard any good news about being a woman and certainly being a sexual woman from the church? Um, and of course, that opens up the whole history of the erotophobia of Christianity down through the ages. Um, so, so my, where I am now as a, as a superwoman, <laughs> hero, <laughs> is um, I'm simply uh, working on my own healing. And I have come along far enough that I can turn around to those other people who have not done that work yet and say, there is hope, there is liberation, and guess what? You don't have to give up your faith Uh, in order to be sexual, in order to be um, uh, as out there as you want to be as a sexual person. So um, it's my story. It's the intersection between spirituality and sexuality.
2: Bev, I want to just interrupt you, and I wonder if you can place your mic less close to your mouth. You're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of popping on your peas and things like that. All
0: right. All right. How's that? Does that work better?
2: Yeah, I think that's a little better. We can just go forward from there. Um mm-hmm. and I can try and do it in post. Um so and I'll obviously edit this little bit out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so that's an amazing story, but I feel like I feel like we skipped over a bunch of stuff. So just <laughs> <laughs> giving the highlights. <laughs> I enjoy the highlights, but I, I want to go back. I want to dig deeper. <laughs> sure. Um so therapy and you also turn to do your own reading and research into Christian history what did you discover when you started doing that research? How did we come to this place? How did, how did erotophobia develop in the Christian church?
0: Well, it, it began um, very early. Um, Paul's writing in the New Testament reflects kind of a dichotomous world of flesh and spirit. Um, so the early church fathers, quote-unquote, um, who were rather misogynist, um, and had nothing good to say about women or sex, um, were really grappling with that whole issue. So uh, you, when you look at the how sexually conflicted St. Augustine was, for example, um, and the the personal choices he'd made in his... In his mother had said, I will make you a very important man, but you have to give up your... Your mistress and your child. In order to do that, she's a very powerful woman, and so he did. Uh, he gave them up, and uh, and that created a lot of problems in his own conscience about what he had done, and he had to justify it. So mm. when you kind of understand that, that you begin to understand why he could become uh, so negative about the body and pleasure, and and that. Why do
2: you think his mother wanted her? Him to give up the was it a a sort of a threat a a competitive feeling
0: oh who knows I've not read the book on that I'm not sure we know but she was successful I mean she made him uh, one of the leading uh, people there and um, so that people quoting him clear down through the ages
2: Mm. and Uh. yet that comes from a place of pain yes yeah.
0: Mm There's a lot of sexual wounding. I mean, when you find uh, men, particularly I'm talking about, who uh, say they're religious, but, but they have nothing good to say about women or women's power or, or they're, they're angry about women's bodies, um, you know that that comes from a place of pain. And I'm not just talking about Jerome here. Uh, I'm talking about the current political figures who are spouting about who should control women's bodies, you know, Hey, what's going on in their sex life is what I want to know. And what's, yeah. what happened with, between them and their, their family and their own sexual development. Mm.
2: Those are super yeah. great questions that I wish we could get the answer to. <laughs> <Yeah. Well. laughs> I wish, I wish reporters, I mean, I guess that's really inappropriate, but I do. I, I share your wondering about that. So you, did your, you started doing your own research and your own self-education. Um, at what point did you become called to the clergy? How did that happen?
0: Well, you see, I felt called to the clergy when I was 11 years old. Wow. Uh, but I thought God had made a mistake because I didn't have, you know, the appropriate genitalia. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so that dream went, went way deep. And I didn't discover that again until I was in my early 30s and got in touch with the women's movement. And the women's movement said, hey, it's great to be a woman. It's okay to be a woman. There's nothing deficient about you. And uh, when I heard that, it was so welcome. It was like, oh, my goodness, why have I never heard that message from the church? So, uh, then I went to seminary to say, right, do I stay a Christian or not? Is there any good news for women in Christianity? And that put me in touch with a whole bunch of wonderful feminist theologians and liberation theologians who understood that in so many ways the church had just really screwed up and uh was on the side of the powerful rather than on the side of the marginalized. So I decided I could stay on the inside of Christianity and critique it from the inside as a whole bunch of other feminist um, and liberation theologians are doing. Did I answer your question? I kind of took off on
2: a different direction. So, So that's fantastic. So that's probably not a very popular position inside the church.
0: Um, you know I think there 's a whole bunch of moderate people who who do like that idea, but they don 't know how to connect it um to what they 've been taught um, so so my goal is to get to those people who have turned off Christianity and they 're kind of they 're way out there beyond Christianity and say you don 't have to leave if you don 't want to, and then to find all of these moderates in the pews. Um, who really do want to hear some positive news about the body and sex and women and women's sexual power and say, yeah, we can do that. We, we can find that in scripture. We can find that in the early church. Um, now, that's not to say that there's not a heck of a lot of patriarchy and misogyny. In the Bible, there certainly is, and certainly in the church. But we can find some liberation, and all we have to do is look at the person of Jesus, which is, after all, what the church is supposed to be about anyway. Mm -hmm. So so I think people are waiting for some good news. We're certainly tired of hearing the same old things from from the anti-body folks, the anti-woman folks. Um so yeah, let let's have some good news here for change. So so
2: give I, us some good news. Where where do we find this stuff in the scripture? I mean I'm Jewish, I'm I'm not very familiar with the New Testament, but I, I I'm sure that there are plenty of Christians or folks who are raised Christian listening who would love to to have that framework. Give us uh-huh. give us give us a little uh
0: overview. Wow. Oh there's so much. Take. <laughs> um well, first of all, what we have to do is understand that much of our sexuality is uh, been informed with, "You can't do this and you can't do this, but you can do only do this." So it's about setting up rules. Well, Jesus was not about setting up rules. He was about breaking the rules. And in so many ways, he was a rule breaker, because rules have their origin, not in truth so much, as in culture. And so, uh, when you look at that, you say, okay, wait a minute. Jesus was criticized for breaking the rules, having a little bit too much fun. Mm-hmm. So now let's look at that. If he's going to promise us life and all of its abundance in, in gospel, uh, of John ten ten, um, then what does that look like? Well, the body and sexuality and pleasure has got to be a part of a life of abundance. It just has to be. So, um, Now, we have permission from Jesus' life to break the cultural rules that don't work for us, um, that prevent relationships or prevent healing. Those were his guidelines, it seemed to me. Um, So, we can break the rules and we can seek out the abundance. Where is the abundance? So, then... The third thing is what we have to do is look and see, well, all right, how do we do this ethically and morally? How would Jesus uh, relate in his relationships? And the stories of Jesus is that um, he did not let the the culture dictate who he could talk to, when he could talk to, who he could touch and when he could touch them. Um, So he instead, I like to say, went heart to heart. So how did Jesus relate to the women around him? How did he relate to the, quote-unquote, untouchables around him? And he was very warm and accepting um, and uh, and didn't hesitate to reach out and enter into their space, their physical space, their spiritual space. So uh, then we can also look to the early church and say, well, how did they address issues that jesus didn't address so they had ways of discernment discern what is the best action for you to do so you don't want to lead someone else astray you don't want to violate your own conscience um and then of course how do we love our neighbors as we love ourselves how do we treat other people like we want to be treated no those are key foundational teachings of jesus Mm -hmm. but also of all faith traditions oh yeah absolutely yeah so um so our sexual lives then become uh, a way of discerning what is ethical and moral for us in our situation. Rather than having a cultural rule handed down from on high, whether it's from the high pulpit or from the Vatican, this is a one-size-fits-all rule that no sex except under this one limited situation, that is, with a piece of paper that makes it legal. Um, and even so,
2: then, I mean, at least under some Christian doctrine, it should
0: still only be for procreation. You're not supposed to right. do it because you like it. <laughs> right. Oh, isn't that something <laughs> that some of those early church fathers are, right, and if you have to, but just don't enjoy it? Don't enjoy it. Which yeah. Is,
2: which does seem against. I mean, again, I don't come from the same faith traditions that you do, but we have, they have the same similar roots, right? Yeah, well, Genesis, Genesis, you know,
0: it's good. It's all very good, according to the creator.
2: Yeah, like the creator wouldn't make it pleasurable if we weren't supposed to enjoy ourselves.
0: Right, right, like <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I really mean, when you level. want to look at it, when the creator has it for the in the woman species puts in one organ that is only for, pleasure. Right. only for pleasure, only for pleasure. Excuse me, I think it means that we're supposed to have fun here. <laughs>
2: Right. I mean, what about all those folks who want to talk about intelligent design with the clitoris an accident?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I begin to understand them, so.
2: I <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so I, I went on a tangent, but I, I, it's one of my real frustrations with that whole framework that, that's supposed to be faith-based, that we're not supposed to enjoy sex is, is it really does seem to be questioning and overriding the creator,
0: yeah, I think what well, what drives that is fear, fear, and the and all throughout the, the Hebrew Scriptures as well. There's a lot of fear of hedonism, and if you look up the word pleasure in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, you know, a good chunk of the time, what the word really should not be translated as pleasure, it should be translated hedonism, so that you become... Um, ego centered that I just want to get mine and I, at whatever cost, and I don't care what the consequences are, how it impacts you. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. Mm. Thank you very much. That kind of stuff is totally uh, antithetical to a life of faith. And that strikes me as a very American attitude. Mm. I'm going to get mine. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. It's all about me, me, me. So so religions are right to challenge that way of thinking. But uh, so the fear is that if we if we really tap into the wonder of pleasure and sexuality and the and the drives and needs that we have, um we might forget that we really have responsibilities to other people. And we might forget to consider consequences and that kind of thing. So, um, but there's also ironic
2: because I I think the main folks who are driving this idea, this anti-pleasure idea, have forgotten about treating people as human beings
0: and have forgotten about consequences to other people. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, when we're in a fearful place, you can't see that. Mm -hmm. And I guess I think what makes the difference here is that we have to shift the dialogue from. Uh, listening to people like that to naming that saying you know what that's not helpful to relationships it's not helpful for our own psychology and our own health Um, so let's shift the conversation to um, to ethics and morals and let's let's do it uh, let's focus on pleasure and what it is to be human the, the erotic urge inside each of us that I think was put there by the Creator, the erotic urge is to seek out connection with one another. We long for intimacy, both with the divine, something that's beyond us, but also with one another. That's a God-given need um, and desire. It's what makes us human. So, uh, and in that... Um, movement towards one another, we really want to... There's a, there's a creative edge to that, too. You know, when you take on a new lover, you realize, wow, suddenly you can draw better and your life mm-hmm. is more exciting. <laughs> it's just juicy. Yes, everything it's gets really creative. juicy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's what it is to be human. So why is it... Tell me again, why is it that we're shutting that down? It seems to me that we just might be more... Um, creative in our problem solving of our global issues if we allowed people to to really be human and to explore and express more of that intimacy need and desire for connection rather than try to keep putting up the barriers um, and making so sure we don't touch scary
2: for me, so many people why is it scary to think about a world you know you and I can sit here and talk about that and I think god that sounds amazing and I feel like you know it, it would not be a utopia but it would be a lot better world than we're living in right now if there was yeah. if there was more than that more of that if if that was the central mm-hmm. value globally um, but but it seems like many people mostly men who are in control of such things really fear that right they mm-hmm. want anything but that
0: yeah. Um, yeah and
2: and i is it just about retaining power is it about discomfort with what we don't know um
0: no 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 it's about fear of the feminine power because the words that i'm using connection intimacy um even i would throw in here nurturance those are identified as female virtues we don't allow our men to feel those things uh, and so if you are, we want them to be strong and never show any a kind of risk or vulnerability. Well, if I'm going to move into an intimate space of connection, I'm going to have to be vulnerable. And we don't allow men to feel that, but we only allow women. Well, So, so there's this whole thing that if if I'm in a position of power or society says I have power, because a lot of these men don't feel like they're powerful, mm-hmm. um, Then, and you want me to be vulnerable, then I lose my identity as powerful male. So, so the, whole, the whole thing for me is we have to empower the women to not be ashamed uh, of our feminine power and, and desire to connect and nurture um, with, one, with other people and instead, lift that up as that's what's going to save the planet, folks. Mm. We have to be able to do that, um, to reach out to those children of uh, in other countries who are being bombed. You know, come on. Where's the women's voices on that? Because the men don't have permission from a patriarchal system to be caring. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. About little ones um, or to be nurturing to to the whole planet, but the women do now we're using we're being very dichotomous in here in our male and female, and I realize mm. there's a whole <laughs> range of people there who are comfortable going lots of different directions on that, or maybe they don't define it either either of those, but so I'm kind of using these as constructs, mm-hmm. recognizing people aren't quite fit um so so um I did a workshop uh, not long ago in Atlanta with uh, 60 women, and it was about being sassy, sexy, and self confident women. Like, and I pulled out women from the Bible who were that way. And we had, uh, I had these women by the end of an hour and a half, they were standing up in a sexy, sassy, self confident pose and saying, Here's my body, and it's, it's, good enough, you know, this is who God made me to be, and it's all right. Um, it, it was a really empowering workshop to say, yes, I can take charge of my sexual life, I can take charge of my sensual needs, um, and, and find my own power in that. And guess what, we just might save the world when we begin to believe that being uh, nurturant and caring and uh, connecting with other people is a positive good yes <laughs> yes but can I hear an amen, amen. There?
2: <laughs> but you know, I, I mean he's sitting here listening, listening to you talk about that workshop and I'm thinking you must be in hot water with somebody you know I <laughs> and do people, those women also go back home and get in hot water with, with some of the men in their lives
0: you know, we have to do it with humor. We have to be able to laugh about this because we really have screwed ourselves up really badly. So, you know, laugh or cry. So let's do it with some sense of humor because, um, you know, I think we can work our way out of this mess that we have created for ourselves, but it requires that we open up and uh, be vulnerable and also laugh together. And okay, and But, and but real talk,
2: I hear you sort of trying to spin all of this positively and I appreciate your yeah. relentlessly positive attitude but yeah, you are working in a in an institution the, the, the larger church I don't know what de- denomination you're part of what denomination are you okay. part of
0: uh Christian church disciples of Christ okay I don't know much about that but
2: mm-hmm. there must be church folk who are not down with what you're doing and you th- how does, okay. that, how does that backlash work? How does that resistance work? And, and also, how do you prepare the women in that workshop to handle folks who are going to resist?
0: Um, well, the first answer to the question is the people who are terribly sex phobic um, haven't found me yet. Oh. And, um, and what I do is something that they would not be attracted to. It would repel them. Um, I had a, I have a one woman show called an Irreverent Journey from Egg Beaters to Vibrators, and when I I always got asked at the end of every performance, you know, what about what kind of pushback are you getting? And I said, Look, if you are a sexually repressed person and you're fearful of feminine power, you're not going to go to a show with the word vibrator in it. So uh, they, there's a self selection uh, going on, oh. and, and I'm not a threat. To the anti-body forces at this point, I'm I'm just one grandma who is preaching a message that's a little bit different than what they're. But I have no political power, so until until I start getting thousands and thousands of people following me, uh, or reading my book, or uh, whatever, then then maybe they might take me on um but frankly i i have put off talking a lot about this in public because i did not want to be the right wing uh poster child um and i've decided you know what i'm i'm a grandmother and how how many more years do you think you've got here so if they want to take on a grandma go go for it you know but we got to talk about this because i think the survival of the species depends on it if i may be so grandiose
2: <laughs> be grandiose and and let's talk about it absolutely <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think young adults get this. I really do. Uh, and it's sad, but part of the reason young adults kind of get this is because they're not as tied to traditional Christianity. And uh, it's lost some of its power for that generation. So that that's good. That's good. So mm-hmm. let's do something different.
2: Your denomination, can you say, is, does it tend to be more conservative? Is it a more progressive branch of the church? Uh,
0: like... All of the denominations, except for the exception of Southern Baptist maybe um, we have the full gamut we have uh, pretty conservative on the right wing, clear to the radical left, which is me uh, it's very <laughs> my denomination is smaller uh so the comparable might be the United Church of Christ, which is Got much it. larger, and um, and they have become a, a denomination that just advertises their progressive views in very positive ways of, you know, hey, look, it's hospitality here. That's what we're about, and God is still speaking to us. We do not put a period where God has put a comma. So um, my denomination is in full communion with that denomination, United okay. Church of Christ.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, talk to me more practically about what you do. So, you do workshops. You have this one woman show. What uh-huh. is the institute all about? Like, what do you what are you actually doing on a day to day basis?
0: Well, the the startup phase was I was simply going to various conferences and so forth, doing presentations of uh, an hour and a half or so, like you and I. Uh, met at, at Networks Nation, at mm-hmm. Roots Nation. But, um, but now we're moving into phase one, which is to do classes that are multi-week. So right now, this fall, I'm doing one called "Seeing," uh, Reading the Bible with Sex-Positive Eyes. And that will be held here in Philadelphia. And the hope is I'm I'm just now beginning to raise some money to be able to videotape that and then put that on the web, so that uh, people will begin to say, "All right, if I don't, if I go to my Bible, saying the body is good, sex is good, relationships that are um, connecting and, and impactful are good, then how do I find that in the Bible?" Mm, so. Yes. That's, that's what I'm teaching. Um, phase two of what we are going to, well, we're going to continue to do this till we raise the money and get the foundation uh, going. But phase two then will be to specifically target people who are being uh, academically trained as sexologists or, and um, those who are being trained uh, in seminary to be pastors or clergy types and put them in the same classroom together. For a couple of uh, intensive weekends to learn about each other's disciplines and then be able to send them out two by two to do the work that I'm doing and do the kinds of training uh, for whoever is interested in this. So it would be uh, uh, religious bodies, but also swingers and poly people and uh, the LGBT communities. So people who really are hungry, I think, for something, some, th- some alternative. Um, to the sex negativity so right now i'm just focusing on how do i train people how do i get people to um to read the bible differently to talk theologically differently um, we've just let too many people tell us what the bible says mm. and how and how we're supposed to interpret it and that's just been to our detriment so we're going to have to um change that and and we can do that. I mean, John Wesley, who was the head of, turned out to be the founder of the United Methodist. He didn't plan that, uh, but you know he had a way of. We don't just sit down and to the Bible and that's all we read. We use our mind and our reason. We use our faith community. There's a discernment process of how to get at what is truth for us, um, and we don't impose it on other people. So now you're sounding downright Jewish yeah yeah, yeah. Something. you know what uh, Gandhi said that when I become fully Hindu and you become fully Christian, there we will meet mm-hmm. so when when all of us become true to our own um spirituality, that deep wisdom that every major faith tradition has. Um, when we get to that point, then we're going to find that, you know what? We're on the same side of the fence when it comes to political issues and when it comes to working for justice and making the world a better place. Yeah, I we're on the same side
2: political issues. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, I'm really frustrated with how strong and influence conservative Christians, specifically conservative Catholics, have become on us policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering how people of other faiths, right people who, people of faith who come from different perspectives, you know, it, honestly, you know, between you, me, and the wall, and all of the people listening, I think that faith has no place in U.S. policy because of the ch- separation of church and state. But if if our politicians are going to be are going to be so focused on listening to people of faith, how can we get them to listen to more
0: diverse range
2: of people of faith? Do you have any
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Well we you said a that? lot there. So yeah. let me let me quote William Sloan Coffin, who was a pastor at Riverside Church in New York for years and also a campus pastor, who said, It's my job as pastor to uh, say that justice must flow like the mighty rivers. And it's your job, politicians, to figure out the irrigation system. Mm. So I do think faith has a place in the political process when we see uh, laws that are being passed that are detrimental to immigration or or uh, people who are poor, that kind of thing. Yeah, our faith needs to be saying, this is not just this is not fair. Now, you figure out the irrigation system so that it is just and fair. Okay, so so that's the first thing I would say. We, we do need to um, not apologize for a faith perspective that calls us to our higher selves, to our higher morality, um, that says, what is the common good here? How does this help our community? Okay, so that's the one piece. Now, what was the question?
2: How can we get our politicians oh, the, to listen to a yeah, more diverse yeah.
0: range of people of faith? Okay, well, I'm not going to answer that question. We might come back to it. But let me, let me say that <laughs> we, have to, we, we have to understand the context of what's happening. The U.S. Has, has been for a couple of decades, several decades, moving more and more towards an egalitarian society. Right? In terms of our relationships and in terms of our family and our economics has required women to work outside the home and women have their own paychecks. Guess what? They have more power in the family. So there is this movement towards making things fair for everybody in the family. And that means mom and dad are on an equal par uh, to use a nuclear family term. Um, so that has shifted. Uh, the power dynamics of the old order, the old order that's still taught in conservative or very conservative churches is that the man, there's God at the top, then man, then his woman, then the little children and the animals. Okay, so that's, that's a hierarchical way of looking at things. Right now in the U.S. culture, we have got all of these conservatives who have sold their souls to that kind of a hierarchical order in their homes and who want to impose that and see that in the culture Mm -hmm. and they're seeing it shift and they're seeing, um, occupy movements calling for, uh, for justice. And they're seeing people being challenged, um, who were never challenged before. And they're seeing it in their own homes where the wife is saying, wait a minute, I got a paycheck. Why are you making decisions about our budget? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, so it's crumbling for them or it's shaking for them, and they're very scared. So hence, we find more push to get out there and control the political process to keep that stable hierarchical order going. Because if it's happening, if it's going in the society, then it might just go in my family and I will be safe. Okay so so, so so it's a backlash it is definitely a backlash. So, in that sense, it's good that we they're realizing, well, look at what's happened in terms of gay rights issues. As the states are slowly crumbling and say, okay, yes, you have the right to be married. You have the right to have your your relationships recognized. Um, they've kind of lost that battle. Everybody is kind of saying, yep, they're just all crumbling one at a time, and it's going to happen towards an egalitarian perspective. It's only fair. Um, so now they're shifting far more to me, to, to women. Sorry, we kind of lost the gay thing. So now let's go after the women's Mm. sexual freedom. Let's go after, and the way we do that is control their ability to access inexpensive or, or, um, free contraception. We Mm. control whether or not they can have, uh, abortions, um, We're going to punish them if you have a a miscarriage and throw you in prison because you probably, you know, you did some drugs while you were miscarrying. And so, you know, there's this real negative controlling force on women. But let's look at it in larger context. It's not just women. It's women's power. Mm -hmm. It's just that American women in the U.S., we do not know we have sexual power. We do not know that. So we're just kind of letting it happen. So that's part of the message is, come on, we've got to be sexually empowered here to make sure that we say to those sexually wounded people, and that's what they are, when you talk about these repressed people who are pushing their agendas in angry, hostile, judgmental ways, they're wounded people, okay? Uh, We've got to be able to name that. And say, and that's not the kind of world we want to have, or build, or or continue. So, let's move, keep moving towards egalitarianism, and part of that means we have to empower the women to uh, to take charge and use those those nurturing skills, and the and the men, not just women, okay. Uh, but to, uh, I think I'm rambling now, so let me just stop there and see if I lost you. Did I lose no, you there? <laughs> I'm
2: with you, and it's all making me think of. And, and I think maybe I want to end with a, a, a brief conversation about this thing you said at the at the end of our panel about moving from a rights based framework to a justice based framework. Mm. Um, that just just. Which was it something that I've been thinking about for a long time but had never crystallized the way that you had mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. blew my little mind um, well, yeah, and i and i it makes me think that right that that you know like oh well, the LGBT rights are a losing battle, so we have to go work on these right, you know, like it, that it's that we have to be fighting for our power and our our rights sort of one subset at a time and one right at a time. And it's always going to be an exhausting losing battle and that we have to shift the framework altogether. And can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that?
0: Well, the language comes from Christian theologian, Marvin Ellison, a book called making love just. Uh, And he talks about a rule based, um, sexual morality code versus a justice centered sexual morality code. And, um, Yes, it's, it's about um, how do we look at the big picture about what is fair and how do we discern and negotiate what is fair for everybody with particular attention to those who are getting stepped on who have less power. The children, uh, people with less power economically, people who are uh, stereotyped because of gender orientation and uh, gender identity issues. So... Um, Justice means, yeah, we look at the big picture of the world the way we want to have it or the U.S. society the way it could be, the way democracy, if you will, kind of promises. um, And let's make that happen rather than – excuse me, I keep hitting my microphone – rather than uh, sticking with the rules of this is the way it's always been or you always have more – power because you have more money um, you have more influence therefore we give you these positions the the rules about the way it's supposed to work Mm -hmm. need to be they are being challenged which is why we have the backlash but what we need are good folks like you um, speaking out for what the big picture here is what's fair and what kind of world do we want to build. And uh, leave for our our grandchildren. And that means we have to look at what is justice. And you and I know that while the word justice may not be in our Judeo-Christian scriptures, the word righteousness is. Mm -hmm. And righteousness means justice. So that's where the faith communities have got to wake up. And we've got to start talking about righteousness and justice. And that's always the way towards peace. And that's the world we want to build, and it begins with these bodies, these sexual bodies that we've got right here.
2: Well, Reverend Beverly Dale, I think you are righteous. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> I'm so glad I've gotten to talk with you some more and for our, my podcast, and just because I like talking to you. Um, And for other folks who want to keep in touch with you, how can Mm -hmm. folks find you online or otherwise?
0: Well, my website is beverlydale.org, so that's easy enough. You just got to remember my name. But uh, the Incarnation Institute is incarnation.institute, and that'll get you to that.
2: Wait, not .com?
0: Uh, It's incarnationinstitute.org. Oh, .org, We've got a new one. It's incarnation.institute. We thought that might be easier. So either way. .institute.
2: I'm sorry. I got all nerdy Mm -hmm. for a second. Mm -hmm. .institute is a thing you can have? Yep. Wow. That's pretty (laughs) fancy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And and so they can find out there. I know you were saying before we started recording that you're going to be at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Conference in a couple of weeks. So They can find out at your website and, and at uh incarnation.institute where they can find you and connect mm-hmm.
0: but i'm really looking for people who want to get on board with this institute and make this happen oh, so yeah. you know 25 dollars here and there from folks would be wonderful to get this thing off the ground and start uh, duplicating rev bevs all over the country yes.
2: <laughs> and well can i ask one last question i know i sure. said i was gonna wrap it up but i do wonder i imagine there's folks listening who are like where can I go to co- connect with a Christianity like this? Mm-hmm. What's, your, what's your advice to those people? You know, where can they find congregations or faith leaders who are, who are going to be sexual liberationists? Well, Um, we just not there yet, and they should give to your institute so we can make that happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're out there. Obviously, I've been reading uh, feminist theologians, and I was taught at at a seminary, a progressive seminary. There are progressive seminaries out there. Um, first of all, if you're, not re- if you're a little loosey-goosey on the Christian thing, that Unitarian Universalist as a denomination are not hung up about sexuality. Oh, they're so
2: good. They have the best they're, sex ed curriculum.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they're wonderful. The United Church of Christ is there in some ways, but in all the denominations you can find there are progressive pieces in most of the denominations. You just have to look for them. Um, so if there are congregations who have got the rainbow flags out front or they've got the little catch denominational phrase that indicates that they are open to gays and lesbians, then that might be where you would start. They also might be open to a wider sexual diversity and variety as well. Um, but I have some bibliography of, of people to read on my website so you can start looking, reading some of that thing, those things there. Um, oh, great. There's good, I'll link to that books.
2: in our show notes, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a book called uh, written by a woman theologian called uh, Unprotected Texts, The Surprising Contradictions in the Bible About Sex, I think is the title. Um, what a great but, title. Yeah, there, but there are a number of, of good books out there um, that can get people thinking about this kind of thing. Excellent.
2: And for folks who want to find me, I am at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F on Twitter and also on Facebook. And you can find me at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. You can find the show notes for this and all of my past shows at JacquelineFriedman.com slash F-W-F. And if you would like uh, to have a guest, if myself and a future guest, answer an advice question you might have about sex or sexuality, or if you'll have suggestions for future guests that might be nearly as awesome as Rev Bev uh, send them to me at fwf that's like fucking well feminist at jaclynfriedman.com I love hearing from listeners thank you so much for coming on you're
0: very welcome this has been fun
2: yeah it has been and to everybody listening we are wishing you safe and happy sex lives